Spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. We just thought we'd start with You Never Walk Alone because Liverpool's winning the league this year on SMWX in 2019 and 2020. None other than Musi Maimane, leader of One SA Movement, predicted a Liverpool league win. It happened. So we just had to celebrate being the best team in the world. Ndate uh, Maimane. Thank you so much for joining us as not only leader of One SA Movement, but also uh, president of the South Africa Liverpool Fan Clubs Association. Thank you very much. And I hold uh, the, the second title as the greatest thing possible. <laughs> you know, the, the, that um, I'm not walking alone. And I think, uh, I, think, I, think, I think if you're not supporting Liverpool, you really should evaluate what your priorities <laughs> are in life, honestly. But, uh, but yeah, we keep going. <laughs> My question is, what team is the DA now, though? Uh, like, if, if the DA was a Premier League team, I feel like they're Chelsea right now. <laughs> well, Chelsea does have some stars. So I <laughs> yeah, maybe that's even a bit too... <laughs> Sheffield United. <laughs> okay, okay, no. I'm already, I'm already, I'm already veering off. <laughs> But we'll keep them with the blues. Let's keep them with Leicester. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Okay. Fine. Yeah. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, Had a moment where things were going well, and then and then kind of we don't know where they they end up. They lost some star players, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Leicester are still in the mix, but you never know. You kind of think they could, you know, just they're in the mix. Let's put it that way. No, uh, Budi, thanks so much for, for joining us again on SMWX. You've always been very generous joining this platform, even when it was but a young one. So really happy to have you back on the platform for our first interview of 2021. I'm being a lot more selective about the interviews this year, rather the best than just doing a lot. So uh, it's really great to have you to grace us for the first one this year. Look, firstly, thank you for inviting me, but more than anything, thank you for the work that you're doing about creating a platform that is engaging, asks uh, tough questions of principles, whatever space spectrum they come from, but asking us to think. So I want to say I I appreciate Mm. it, and certainly in the context of what's going on with Zondo and our whole media space, I think platforms like this will become progressively more important. So... So I yeah. genuinely, and I I, I, I I celebrate your work. I am a fan. I think that congratulations on your PhD. I think it's good for as many South Africans as possible to be able to say, we, we can really interrogate what we're about and we've got something to learn from the world and teach the world. So thank you. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. And I'm excited to see what you have been up to because you've, come back to the South African political landscape with a very innovative project that I think requires some unpacking because there's a lot there's a lot going on um, and I'm interested to unpack that with you. But before I get there, I just wanted to ask, because we last spoke um, when you were leader of the Democratic Alliance, and what was that process like when you not only left this important position on the South African political landscape, but also came to the realization that 
something new was necessary and you wanted to do something totally different from um, staying within the DA and actually building a new kind of thing. How did you come to that, that realization? I, I mean, I think it's, firstly, I've always been a person of faith and I think some mm. of it you have to interrogate whether your own personal purpose is still aligned with the objectives of the organization you're serving. So I think that mm. was the first kind of inkling for me to say, something here isn't fulfilling, isn't getting up. Secondly, I think there's the question of the current political system in the country. Mm. Um, understanding that so much of it has its roots pre-1994, especially amongst the two big parties in the sense they both a maturation of something or another. And mm. what that means is that in many ways, its values were set pre-94 in a world that looks vastly different to a world today and in a world that still defined our politics as in some ways white versus black or black versus white and the pursuit of freedom in that way so liberation politics as it were and mm. the definitions are always going to be racial in that so it didn't offer anything that sought to project a future and what kind of future do we do post liberation you know and I think that was a striking thought for me because I made it made me realize that the project I was engaged with trying to bring South Africans of different races, of different uh, gender, religious beliefs, but in pursuit of one centralized vision and values, was something that was um, is a hard project mainly because the the mm. hopes of one are often the fears of another. You know, so if you wanted to yeah. bring a clause like diversity. It meant that for some people it's a hope but for others it's a fear mm. so so mm. so that contestation became an a a difficult project to work because so much of the generation of leadership still hankered for the project as they had it mm. and i think so there was that challenge but i think thirdly you know the majority of south africans aren't voting so so and were eligible to vote it means one of two things. Either they believe inherently nothing is going to change, so the old infrastructure remains the same, mm. or nothing is engaging them. And I found politicians to become careerists, so it became really about people building their CVs on the political ladder, rather than in mm. fact fighting for something. I sometimes have to think and ask myself, for many of the 400 MPs that we've got, on whose behalf are you fighting? And, and on mm. whose behalf mm. you're making this particular argument? And I think, so So it came out of, you know, in very liturgical terms, I'd say, trying to put new wine and old wineskins. Mm. And in very personal sense to say, we need a new fight, we need a new vehicle. And thirdly, to say, actually, politicians have become vastly distant from people. In fact, most people don't even know what politicians do. And I mm. don't think that's democracy. So, So there's a part of me that says, we were trying to build something without the even the COVID reality on the table. But I think COVID is starting to prove us right, that mm. actually you need democracy closer to the people and you need to be able to hold people accountable, I think. So there's a part of me that's really excited about the project. So that, yeah. was, the first, that was how I kind of got to it. Too. No, it's a, it's a very interesting and exciting project because I think a lot of people feel that they don't have a home 
And then the question is, okay, do we start something new, but then it just becomes like everything that's, that's old. And so how do you do something new that's genuinely new? And I think you're probably the first person to try and experiment with a whole different model, breaking outside of political parties. And I think that model needs to be explained um, further because it's really interesting and quite, quite innovative. I don't think people have quite actually got the full scheme of what you're trying to do here, which I think is really, really quite innovative. So let's, let's try and unpack that. One South Africa movement is pitching itself as an umbrella movement for independent candidates, but not a political party. Flesh out a bit for us what that looks like in practice and how that's different to a political party and also different to just a group of independent candidates acting autonomously. Sure. And, and I think the best way I can explain it is the distinction between traditional bus transport systems and Uber. Mm. Mm. If you think about the age old buses, all of us used to stand at the bus terminal, the bus would arrive when it felt like arriving. And you would then in some ways it would have some passengers and I often say the political system is like a bus. It's got a driver. It's, you might like the driver, you may not, but you mm. don't really get to choose the driver. The white driver is chosen for you. You kind of pay your fare. They take you to a preset destination that they've decided. And the bus goes further on with only a few people who know what's going on to their mm. own destination. And it's profitable only to a few. And I think that's what political parties do, right? They arrive once every five years. They tell us lofty ideals. And then subsequent to that, we kind of sponsor their fuel with our votes and off they go to a destination of their choice. Mm. What Uber does is that it says, we will give you a set criteria of standards. You decide, you can rate the driver. The driver will arrive when you say they must arrive. And more seriously, the destination is set by you. Now, why that's important is as follows. Is that firstly, I think South Africans want pretty much a social democratic society. They know what freedom looks and tastes like. Most people actually only just want a job. They want to be safe. They want to be included in the economy. And fundamentally, South Africans believe in a non-racial vision. That's what they want. So the job of any person is to help people achieve their destined dream. Whereas political parties tend to sometimes superimpose that back to people in ways that mm. sometimes are not correct. Secondly, mostly they also the drive in the opposite direction that they say they're going to as well. But yeah, correct. Whereas so so and then secondly, to the to not overmilk the the analogy of an Uber, mm. you then get to interact. Uber don't own the cars, but Uber tell you the standards you can expect from the driver. You don't expect your driver to be drunk. You expect the car to be clean. But you also don't rate them on what coffee they give you, etc. Mm. You just literally rate them on a set of criteria. So what One South Africa has done is that we've created a, a pact, which I believe Uber drivers or independent candidates must then sign with their communities that say, we will build non-racialism. We will ensure that we fight for your opportunity to find work. We'll fight for an education that works for everybody. And we'll be future focused and look after our environment. On the basis of that pact, you can then say, yes, I'm in, I'm calling on that independent, I'm going to sponsor my vote so that they I'm part of the journey. And more than mm. anything, I'm gonna constantly be rating this person 
so that we know ultimately that they're working for me, not for themselves. So what yeah. we're trying to do is reform the political landscape. We're saying the best leaders aren't always in political parties. They can be anywhere. We can choose them. You, the community, can vote for them. And we will make sure we give you the standards upon which you vote for them. And then you can hold them accountable to those mm. things. So mm. it is giving really effect to the old slogan of saying, let's give power back to the people. But more than anything, it is yeah. giving up effect to democratic principles that say you should earn your vote and serve the people you are elected to do. And I think when I reflect on my tenure as a, as a political leader and leader of the opposition, if I always, you know, say it's like a joke, you know, if a politician... Um, um, a constituent and and a donor phones you, in which order do you answer those calls? Mm. And to be fair, mm. often the constituents would fall last, the donors mm. would be first, and your mm. fellow politicians would be second, which tells you that the order is wrong. Hmm. We need to get back to saying, let's make sure the constituents are first, because they're the people who matter. Let's mm. want to strip away the money problems of politics, let's get people back to their communities. And ultimately, let's ensure more than anything that um, political accountability isn't first to the party in the, in the party's constitution, but it goes directly to the constitution mm. of the republic and to the people we elected to serve. I think it's, it's, it's a fascinating idea. And also, I've heard some of the interviews that you've given and, and people want to understand this thing as if we all know exactly what's going to happen. And the thing is, it's an experiment to some extent, and we'll learn its merits and its demerits as time unfolds. But um, I think it's it's certainly an interesting way to try and shake up not just the parties, but the system itself. And, and, and I'm, I'm excited about that. Just again, moving into kind of the, the tangible lives of people, um, there's going to be an election, right? Hopefully this year, it looks like, but let's assume there's going to be an election. Would I, would I see posters for one essay um, and then the candidate, or would, it, would the candidate be completely independent? Um, how are you seeing that working in practice where someone is, say, coming to knock at a door, asking for a vote? How much is the affiliation there? Obviously, it's still something that needs to be thought through, and we'll see how it works, but what are you seeing in terms of of that kind of campaigning life and the, the link between the movement and the candidate and the and the voter. So I, I think again, what you want to see is the person you're voting for. Because mm. like we, we we've got to we've got to strengthen that as best as we can. You want to mm. know that person. You want to know where they live. You want to know if they've got business interests. You want to know all of that in your community, right? Yeah. That's that's absolutely important. And you also want to know which standards they stand for. What is the ultimate vision they're trying to espouse? Because you may know one, but um, many gangsters are known in communities, but we certainly mm. wouldn't want our country run by drug dealers and gangsters, right? So you need mm. to know this is what the values they stand for. So, so if you imagine an election, yeah. forefront will be the candidate endorsed by OSA so that people can see sure. that, okay, these are the values I'm behind. And this is the person at the forefront of it. Mm. And to mm. your point, you know, when you start a journey and and suddenly you start to think, okay, this is the route we want to go. 
What's fascinating yeah. is that now I'm getting more and more people calling me saying, hey, Musi, have you considered this aspect? So now mm. we're also mm. looking at the electoral law and yeah. how, in fact, people can be able to even maximize their proportional representative votes using the same model. Because now we want to try and empower communities. They can mm. register a structure that they put in their community and that mm. can be voted for. And it can work in conjunction with OSTA so that we understand that, okay, here's the standards, here's the candidates that are going forward, and we'll we'll get to to be able to vote and know exactly what, what we're voting for. So so that's yeah. what we want to see happen. And of course, it's easy for people to hide behind a big brand, whether the ANC, mm-hmm. whether it be the DA, it's easier for them to hide behind that. But we want to try and stop them from doing that so that we give people people that they can get behind. And do you see that this model could replicate on a national level? I think it's interesting on the local level where we have this hybrid system. But when we come to national elections, the parties become even more central. Have you thought about um, 2024 and how this could work? Well, the great news is that in 2024, the Constitutional Court has issued judgment to say the electoral law must be reformed. And we've already drafted a new act. Mm. And as part of that act, we wanted to say in that act, we want to make sure that part of the electoral law moves us into constituencies. Yeah. Secondly, that every party must declare who their candidate is. Thirdly, that ultimately, and we've worked out that when someone stands as an independent, you can Mm. directly vote for them and they can use some of the proportional mechanisms that are in place. And this is not new work. People like Fancel Slabet did in their report. People like Kalema Mutante in his high-level uh, panel report has already put some indication to say, even as early as uh, President Nelson Mandela himself in his term of office made the strong case to say, we need to reform my electoral law. And the way we wrote the constitution, there were some presumed assumptions that 94 was a once-off election that will operate in that way. And then subsequent to that, would amend the rules to make sure that it's constituency and all of the implications I've just put before you. So much mm-hmm. so that, I mean, it's already implied, like every MP has to have constituency days. That's already fused into their contract, quote unquote. Whereas right. currently they use those days to serve the party rather than their constituents. The president mm-hmm. once mm-hmm. elected ceases to be a member of parliament because we weren't designed, we were designed to in fact have the president stand independent and be able to know that this is the person who's accountable. So so I think the mm, drafters mm. of the constitution had that as a subconscious position and they were working towards that. I think it started to suit the NC in the subsequent elections that it became kind of habit rather than principle. So I, mm. think, I think we've given much thought to say, how do we reform in 2024 to ensure that we can give effect to that constitutional court judgment? Interesting. So there's actually a, a full dual legal strategy that that will proceed further than where you've already gone to actually open up the the playing field legally and then also have the, the candidates ready to actually exploit that new playing field that's hopefully more fair. No, that's that that's that's an interesting one. I mean, like you think of the National Council of Provinces and you think, I mean, it directly elected upper house which could still represent geographical areas would just be 
I mean, a totally different ball game. Instead of this thing that nobody even understands what it does, nobody knows who the NCOP members are, um, that would be a, a totally new and, and interesting way of doing things. And, and I mean, I think what it then next does is that, you know, people always say to me, what do you vote for when you go vote? And I always say to people, you know, you vote for a few things. You don't, Parliament doesn't exercise the votes on many things. In fact, it doesn't pass too many laws. But the big ones are, you have to pass the budget at the right time and you have to know. And I often say to people, imagine suddenly if I went to a budget vote thinking to myself, I'm not going to vote just on party lines, but mm. the people who sent me to parliament actually need a new dam. So I've got to go fight for that. I've got to go fight for water. Or I've got to fight for electricity. Or, you know, So these things then become, they give effect to that democratic practice. The other thing is that from a party point of view, and parties would never tell you, but parliament in many ways used to be a dumping ground. And I say that not mm. with, you know, I don't want to disrespect members of parliament, but all I'm simply saying is that the reason why the cohort of 30 to 50 is not in parliament is because they think in our career lifespan, this thing is not going to work for us. We've got to go away from families and all of that sort of stuff. That's mm -hmm. A. And B, our brain power has not been used the best there because you just go to parliament to become just a voting cattle. Mm -hmm. And C, even when I have a differing opinion, I can't express that because as one leader of the NC told me at the disbanding of the Scorpions, they literally went out of their way and said, no, bruh, you will vote according to this because we've told you from head or headquarters, don't think about it. Don't ask mm. the questions, just go vote. Mm. So I think what parliament then eventually does is that it produces the worst for us, not mm. the best 400 people to go there. And mm. I think it's true for all political parties if they're willing to be honest. And there are only a few people in Parliament who eventually know what it does.